that was passed out. Maybe some of you have read ahead here. So uh, if so, you'll, you'll be able to follow very well. But just to give you a curveball, I'm going to start at the very end of the Daphne mood on the back side. And we're going to begin with the very opening of the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot. Shemot means names. And it gets the name of its parsha, of its book, rather, um, from the fact that it begins with the statement, now these are the names, Ele Shemot, B'nai Yisrael. These are the names of the people of Israel, sons of Israel. And our sages ask the question, why does the book of Exodus begin with a list of names and a statement of who everyone is? So I gave this one answer that is posited in uh, Midrash Vayikra uh, Rabbah, which is a collection of Midrashim, of rabbinic interpretations. Um, and here it says, Rav Huna says in the name of Bar Kapra that we did not change our names or our language. We did not speak Lashon Hara, that is evil tongue or gossip. And everyone observed the laws of arayot, of forbidden relationships. That is, the Jewish people remained stink, distinct within the land of Egypt and refused to assimilate that if you look in the book of Exodus, that the Israelites still have Hebrew names after 400 years, and that beyond this, they did not change their behavior. Even though the Egyptians were not moral people, the Israelites still did not speak Lashon Hara, did not gossip idly about one another, and did not enter into forbidden relationships. That's a way of saying that they didn't intermarry with the Egyptians. Now, before we can take a huge tangent about what this would say about modern-day 21st century America and the Pew study, uh, I'd like to keep to, to stay especially on this subject. What this is trying to say is why are the Israelites elected? And here the answer is that there is something about the way the Israelites behaved over those 400 years that they kept to the basic covenantal outlines that were furnished within the book of Genesis. And based upon that, God elected to bring them out and to make a covenant with them in the land of Egypt. Now, this midrash is somewhat problematic as already in the book of Genesis, God has told our ancestors that the people will be in Egypt and will be liberated much later on. Um, and so uh, historically, this would be a hard thing to, doesn't really jive with the narrative of the Torah. And so I wanted to offer my own explanation that would come directly from the Tanakh itself. So here I'd like you to turn over the page and look at Deuteronomy 28. This is towards the very end of Devarim. Just to set the stage, Moses and the people of Israel are about to enter into the land of Israel. Moses will not be entering the land, but will die outside the land. And Moses is deathly afraid that the Israelites are going to become drunk with power once they enter into the land, and they will become like the Egyptians. Much of Deuteronomy much of the text spends its time trying to curb the limit of both the king and of the sovereign power when in the land to make sure that Israel never turns into an abusive power the way that Egypt once was. And furthermore, repeatedly, time and time again in Deuteronomy, we read the words, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt and I took you out of Egypt in order to be my people. Again and again, a reminder so that when you are in the land, don't forget where you came from and don't forget to look out for the disenfranchised, the impoverished, the outsider, because that was once you. What is the penalty for Israel should they stray from the covenant and become like Egypt? 
Well, if we just look at some of these uh, sections I've underlined here from Deuteronomy 28. In verse 27, the Lord will smite thee with the boil of Egypt and the emeralds and with the scab. Verse 28, and with blindness. So we have two of the ten plagues already. We've got boils, we've got darkness, right? And you shall grope in darkness. Verse 31, thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes. We have here the cattle disease that you find within the ten plagues. Um, if you look at verse 42, all thy trees and the fruit of thy land shall the locust possess. The locusts make their uh, appearance. The stranger that is in the midst of thee shall mount up above thee higher and higher, and thou shalt come down lower and lower. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. You might remember in this week's Torah portion that the Israelites borrow from the Egyptians and then do not return their borrowed items. They take them out with them into the land. And uh, he shall be the head, he shall lend to thee and shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and thou shall be the tail. By the way, quick tangent. Has anyone here ever on Rosh Hashanah eaten a whole fish, but you eat it with the tail cut off, but the head still intact? It's a Sephardic tradition, and it comes from this section of Torah, that this year in the Rosh Hashanah, that we should all be like heads and not be like tails. So next Rosh Hashanah, you can serve that. The point is that in Deuteronomy 28, the curses are the plagues, and that what God is saying here, what Moses is saying on God's behalf, is that should the Israelites start to act like Egypt, they're going to be treated like Egypt. There's nothing special about Israel, nothing that makes them substantially different ethnically or through their ancestry, but that they were different because of how they acted, and that as long as Israel remains in covenant with, it, with God, then Israel will be treated as an amsegula. But should Israel become drunk with power as Moses fears, then if you turn into Egypt, you will be recognized and punished like Egypt. How about the other side? We said, what happens if Israel becomes like Egypt? Is, is Egypt a naturally bad people? Uh, can we say that they are destined to be cursed by God? Well, if we turn the page, we find Isaiah chapter 19. And just to give you the context here, the prophet Isaiah actually has multiple authors writing within one book. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah take place in the 8th century BCE when Assyria is threatening the northern kingdom of Israel from the north. And indeed, in 722 BCE, Assyria will invade, will destroy the 10 tribes of the northern land of Israel. They will come down to Judah. This is where we get the idea of the 10 lost tribes. Um, and that, that northern kingdom will be destroyed. And the prophets at the time will see that as a judgment upon Israel, the northern half, for not keeping the covenant and for turning towards idolatry. Let's see what Isaiah has to say about Egypt as well as Assyria, the two major powers which are serving as bookends to Israel at this time. Verse 21, And the Lord shall make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day. Yea, they shall worship with sacrifice and offering, and shall vow a vow unto the Lord, and shall perform it. And the Lord will chastise Egypt, chastising and healing, and they shall return unto the Lord, and he will be entreated of them, and will heal them. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, and perhaps the most audacious statement, blessed be Egypt, my people. God calls Egypt my people. 
on the day when Egypt and Assyria join Israel in recognizing the one true God, then Egypt and Assyria, along with Israel, will be counted as God's people and will receive all of the blessings with which Israel is bestowed. That is, not only is Israel not a uniquely positive people, but Egypt is not a uniquely negative one. And there is always the opportunity for blessing and for curse for either of them based upon their actions and their mitzvot. This final lesson is underscored in Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, Israel, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. Right? He is God, the faithful God, who keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That is, God is willing, is waiting, is open to be in covenant with any people, anywhere in any land, not based upon heritage, not based upon ancestry, not based upon ethnicity, but merely based upon their behaviors, their actions, and their sense of covenant.